But my goal is to do a makeover on your buyer journey, to give you a recipe, to give you a formula, to actually give you a template that I have been working on that you'll be able to use with your team to clarify, even though, as Erica told you, I'm the co-founder of Uberflip, you don't need Uberflip for this. The B2B Marketing Exchange brings together B2B marketing and sales practitioners from across the country to get the latest tools and tips they need to succeed. Now, we're bringing the insights from the stage to your ears. I'm Claudia Tarico, And I'm Kelly Lindenow. And this is the B2B Marketing Exchange Podcast. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the B2B MX Podcast. We're in the thick of planning for our upcoming B2B Marketing Exchange event in Scottsdale in February. And this year's theme is all about creativity and driving results. And honestly, there's no better way to do that than through content, right? Content is king. We're preaching to the choir here, but, you know, it's the foundation of all sales and marketing practices. Absolutely. And with that in mind, we're sharing a replay from the B2B Sales and Marketing Exchange event that took place earlier this year in Boston. Randy Frisch, Chief Evangelist of Uberflip, took the stage with his session, Why Mapping Content Through the Buyer and Customer Journey Closes More Deals. So without further ado, let's pass things over to the man of this hour and play that tape. All right. Great to have you all here. Great to be in person. Uh, if any of you saw me speak a little earlier, uh, just to introduce myself, I am, as Erica said, uh, Chief Evangelist. I used to be the CMO, and when I was the CMO uh, of Uberflip for over five years, I, uh, you know, it was hard to kind of break out and think outside the box, and this talk is really me being able to do that for the last six months or so since I transitioned into this new role. So this is a lot of fun. This is the first time I'm presenting this, but it's something I've been working really hard on, uh, which is very different than what you see here. This is not my son, but often this is what my kids' rooms look like, and like these types of setups just don't work for me, right? Like I know people who are even adults who can function this way. I don't function this way, right? You know, I am one of these people who needs things neat and tidy and put away in places that I can find it and use it and leverage it. That's just how I tick. So, you know, I go into a closet like this and it's just like, it, like it actually hurts. You know, like I'm uncomfortable, I'm uneasy, I have to dig in because, you know, first of all, it just looks like shit. Um, you know, second of all, you know, it's, it's kind of like you're lost. You don't know where you start to find something you want. You don't even know what you actually have in this mess. So this, you know, hopefully just gives you the type of person that I am and in turn why I'm going to talk about what I talk about today. Now, many of us are like that and that's why I think many of us go on to like Netflix and watch all these shows about tidying up. I have not watched tidying up specific, but someone on my team told me it's fantastic and that I should. But, you know, all of these things are obsessions, right? Like we want to be that clean, organized type of person in our personal lives. And I would argue also in many ways in our professional lives because when we're tidy and organized, we can do amazing things, right? This is an example of your typical before and after, right? Like it is actually, I took time and I kind of where's Waldo'd it and, and found every item. All the items are there. Just as in this photo, all the items are there. It looks like it won't fit, but it's amazing what you end up having at the end of this type of cleanup exercise. So I'm teasing what we're gonna do. We're gonna do a cleanup exercise today. 
because everything after a cleanup just looks better. That fresh coat of paint is amazing what it can do, right? And that's why all these makeover shows, they just make everything look better, right? And that's my goal today. I'm not as good looking or I'm not as cool as those guys on the previous slide, but my goal is to do a makeover on your buyer journey to give you a recipe, to give you a formula, to actually give you a template that I have been working on that you'll be able to use with your team to clarify, even though, as Erica told you, I'm the co-founder of Uberflip, you don't need Uberflip for this, okay? If one day you want it, that's amazing. We have a booth out there, you can go talk to us. But this has nothing to do with Uberflip. This is absolutely to do with getting you prepared to think about your go-to-market strategy in what I call a matrix. Now. This term go-to-market is one that keeps getting thrown around a lot these days. And as I said, some of you were at my earlier session, so bear with me because I talk about this a lot and only these few slides are gonna feel redundant. The idea of go-to-market or this acronym that we see all over, it's not new, it's been around, but it's, it's definitely got a resurgence going. A friend of mine, Sangram, just started a company called Go-to-Market Partners. A lot of us are figuring out how to go to market and how we pull together the different teams to do so. At the same time, a lot of us find ourselves in what I call the go-to-market trap. And I wanna first define how we avoid that trap before we dig into building this matrix. Now, the go-to-market trap starts with investing in data. Now, I'm not suggesting investing data is a bad thing. In fact, it's a good thing. I do it. I invest heavily in data through a number of different sources, and it helps me understand who I'm selling to. So big dollars for all of us. Like, raise your hand. Have you invested in data? All right, yes. There we go, we're all doing this. The next bucket that we all do, not a bad thing, this isn't the trap yet, don't worry, is that we all invest in channels. Are you spending money on channels? Raise your hand. All right, someone's not raising their hand. I don't know how you're getting eyeballs, good for you. Okay, most of us are investing in channels, one channel or another. Some of us swear by email, some of us love ads, some of us hate ads, right? One way or another, you're using a mix of ways to grab eyeballs, to spend money, to spend our demand gen dollars, to pull people in and attract them. Now, as you look at all these different selections, and you probably all have your own favorites that may not be on here, one thing they all have in common is that call to action. I've highlighted them in pink in every case because I love pink. And as you can see, when someone clicks on that, we send them somewhere. We usually send them to our website. We send them to somewhere where they should engage with us on an ongoing basis. But believe it or not, this is the trap. We spend so much money, so much money on data and getting people to our site, but very often, for various reasons, we don't spend the same investment in obsessing over where we've sent them. In some cases, that's because, well, that's the web team, or that's the IT team even, in, depending on the size of your organization, and we just don't have control there, so we send them to the links that we have. But that's not what your buyer's expecting. And as a result, we send buyers into this overload of content, right? Sometimes we just send them to like our generic resource center, and here's all our content, and go find what you want. And it is a terrible feeling as a buyer to have that happen, right? I want you to think about what the buyer actually gets when we do this. Now, I'm trying to be really clever here. There's a Gartner stat that talks about 11 pieces of content to get us through the buyer journey. So the pink squares are 11 pieces of content. As marketers, what we do is we say, okay, great, we're gonna get you to our content. We're gonna run some campaign. We're gonna put dollars out there. We're gonna pull you in. And we kind of know in our mind, like you're not gonna find your way through all of this because it's a maze and I don't necessarily line it all up right. We don't think that way, but that's what we do. 
but we say to ourselves, well, that's okay, because I'm just gonna run another campaign, and then I'll do another one, and another one, and another one, because multi-touch attribution is so cool. So I'm just gonna keep spending money to pull you in, and I'll be able to justify it at some point along the way, and eventually, hopefully, you get from awareness to purchase or wherever I'm trying to move you in that buyer journey. Now, a couple of problems with this. One, costs a shitload of money, right? Every time we're going back to the well, those are dollars from our budget. Second, the buyer doesn't want this. They don't want to have to keep waiting for you to be ready to email them, right? Email nurtures were great 10 years ago when it was the only channel we had. We'd send an email week one, then another one week two, then week three, then we'd spice it up on week, you know, three and a half. Right? We try to be clever and catch them off guard. This is not the experience people want. We live in this environment of finding what we want when we want it. Netflix, Spotify, Amazon, it's there for us. Let us search and find what we want when we want it. So what buyers want is to come in on whatever channel they've found you and be able to self-navigate from left to right, from beginning to end. And that's really what we're trying to do. So I want you to keep that in the, in the back of your mind as we transition to this idea of a framework to overcome that trap that I talked about earlier. I call this the go-to-market framework. And you know, there's three very simple steps. I say simple because this is not rocket science. As much as I told you I've been working on this for years, this is the simplest thing ever because it comes from talking to a lot of people like you who have helped me understand how you think about executing campaigns. And that first step, like we said, is identifying who we're targeting, usually with some sort of data source. Could be using our CRM for this, our map, marketing automation platform, an intent platform. Some of us have already started to think about CDP platforms. That's step one. Step two, as we talked about, is then attract people with various channels. Ad, social, email, whatever you're hot on. Whatever's gonna be the right channel to grab your buyers. But the last step that we've now acknowledged we've gotta put more focus on is this piece of where do I send people? What is the destination where they can take over some control, where I can guide them, but they end up in control of what they want to do next? Now, as much as I said, you know, these are fancy terms, not so fancy, this is really simple layman terms that you're probably using with your team all the time. Which accounts should buy from us? How do I grab their attention? And where do I send them? Three simple steps I'm gonna keep coming back to today, but I wanted to lay this out as a starting point. Now, there's a lot of technology. Like, you go through those doors, and a lot of these vendors are there. And, you know, as, as much as they're all there, it's, you know, we've only kind of gravitated to some so far. And, and we actually did a really interesting study with Forrester late last year. Um, I'm getting all the analysts in. I've already got Gartner, now I've got Forrester. Uh, this is really legit, right? So Gartner said 11.2. Forrester started to look at what areas have we identified to get you through there. The first one they looked at is they said, okay, well, they spoke to marketers, they spoke to sales leaders, and they said, how many of you can identify buyers? Actually, 74%, that's pretty damn good, actually, because a lot of us have invested in solutions like DemandBase and Sixth Sense and Rollworks and solutions like that, all great technologies. The second bucket attract 63%, not bad either. Like, this is pretty good, especially given how uncertain some of us are with our channel spend. But this was a scary number. Remember, this is not my data. This is Forrester's data. Only 11% felt like they can control that destination. So I wanna show you today how you can control that destination without even any technology, right? Well, technically it's technology, but it's a spreadsheet. So the, the way we're gonna do this is really start to focus on tagging. Now, 
Remember I showed you this little GIF or GIF, depending on your preference, earlier? All I did when I wanted to find these was I wrote a simple word there. Do you see that? I wrote tidy, right? And I found everything that I needed just by searching for the word tidy. And I was doing this, I was like, oh, it's so fucking easy. This is amazing. I was like, how does Netflix do this? And I actually found out that they have the coolest job in the world. They have a job called a tagger. A tagger is a real job that you can apply for at Netflix. And your job, if you are a tagger, is to sit there, watch movies, watch TV shows, and say who they're good for, i.e. indie movies with a strong female lead. Very specific, right? There's an amazing number. They have over a thousand tags that you can choose from if you are a tagger, and you are simply attaching those tags to different shows. And then for the rest of us, when we want to do a presentation with the word tidy, it's so easy, right? So I want us to, like, as, who wants this job, first of all? I want this. Okay, thank you. Some people admitted it. Um, the reality is, as cool as that job is, that job can be cool in your current organization. I know a lot of you are like, uh, that's, that's not what I want. If we take on a tagging responsibility, regardless of whether you're the content marketer, the demand marketer, whoever you are in your organization, you start to become that tagger, we can create a better buyer journey. And I want to show you how that comes to life. So what we're going to do today, this is our plan for the next little bit that we've got together, is we're going to think of our go-to-market as a matrix of tags. And to do that, the first thing we're going to do is look at identifying the right audience. Then we're going to look at attracting the right buyers using channel tags, and ultimately thinking about where people are going to engage with those. And we're going to do this in something that I've built as a side project. I've alluded to a couple times now. I built this with Airtable, a really cool technology. I know there, I said no technology, but don't need Uberflip for this, like I said. And the beauty is, the way this thing came together, I call it the go-to-market matrix, is a couple frameworks, a book that Erica said is a little controversial, but fuck it, it's good. Um, a little bit of Uberflip in terms of the methodologies are built into this. And as I said, Airtable is kind of the solution that I use because you can get a free account and you're off and running. All right, so let's, uh, I'm going to show you a URL where you can ask me to give you a copy. I'm trying to get some people to help me test this thing out. But let's dig in and let's break down these three buckets. The first one is to identify. So to identify really means, as I said earlier, which account should buy from us. Now, a friend of mine named Jen Allen, who's a fantastic person at Challenger, Challenger Inc., sent me the following data just a few weeks ago as I was preparing for this. And we've all seen this number, right? This is the average number of people who are influencing a sale. And you can see over time that number has just like ballooned. It's overwhelming. So I want you to keep this in mind because as much as we say that we're selling to a buyer or we're selling to an account, we're selling to a collection of buyers. And this is interesting data that came from them that shows the more buyers at the table, the less likely they are to purchase. And that's because I believe we focus too much on a champion or a single buyer versus thinking about all the different buyers. So I want us to keep that in mind, which is it's not just which accounts should buy from us, it's which buyers. What are the different people at the table that we need to interact with as we go through this? If you want to go deeper into this, my friends at Demandbase, they help me with that, you know, some of the thinking around this, around segmentation and how we think about our buyers. The simplest way, though, that I think about this, as I said, is all tagging. So these are very simple ways to think about your buyers. 
you got two columns, and we'll, we'll break these down a little bit. One is the stage the buyer's at. It could be something as simple as top of, top of funnel through to bottom of funnel. It could be awareness through advocacy. And then you think of your buyer, you've got a lot of different ways that you can segment your buyer at the end of the day, by persona, by role, by title, by account size, by geographical location. These are all important ways that we need to start to think about tags. Now these tags are gonna come in handy. This is the first bucket of tags that I'm showing you. These tags are gonna come in handy as we start to build out our matrix. Okay, let's get to the next bucket, which is the importance of attracting people. I could honestly probably just leave this slide up for the rest and you all be happy because this is so much fun to watch. But, you know, the reality is I only have like seven seconds of your time, so we're gonna make use of it. Just as we try and do with channels, we're trying to grab people, we're trying to make it personal at this stage. And when we do that, we have a lot of success. It's a great example, again, of demand base doing so. There's a customer that we get to work with too called Hexagon, Jody Lebo's fantastic there. And you can see they get a way higher click-through rate when we add that personalization into the ad that we put out. As much as I love demand base, I love all my partners. So Rollworks, they're great too, Sixth Sense. Everyone can do this. We all know how to do this now. We can add this element of personalization into everything that we do. We can even do this with things like direct mail. People at ReachDesk do cool things here too, right? They can throw your name on to a bottle of wine. How cool is that when you get a promotion? So we know how to personalize at this level though. I think a lot of us have started to buy into this piece already. Now, the key then is to start to think about what content that we have, what execution destinations we have, and how do we have to think about where people are coming from. So our next set of thinking about tags is really thinking about what is the right channel for this content. And the simplest way to think about it, there's certain content that's going to be great to click off a tweet versus other great content that's better off an email, right? We don't want a long ebook to come off off of a, a tweet that someone may be looking on their mobile device from, right? So we gotta think about where someone's coming from as we go through. The next part, as I said, is about thinking about the destination. Where am I gonna send someone who clicks? What is that ultimate experience that I'm trying to build? And this is the piece that I think is so important but so easily overlooked. So we're not gonna overlook it today. I'm gonna show you what we do and this is where we start to actually have fun with this thing. Okay, so step one here, I've got a few steps to ultimately tagging and pulling this together, is we've got to think about the final leg of tagging as what does the buyer actually want? What is the problem that we're trying to solve for that buyer at the end of the day? And that's where we get into things like format, product, solution, author, use case. You see all the selections here. You can start to think about the ways we have to start to think of what are we curating in this campaign that we're gonna put out there. Now, I told you, you don't need a Uberflip, but an Uberflip definitely helps here in terms of centralizing all that content that you have to apply these tags to. Now, as I said, you can use an Uberflip, or you may be still living in a sheet, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the beauty is, once you start to bring content together, you start to be able to understand what you have, right? Think back to that closet I showed you. The first step, is literally take all that shit out of the closet and put it in the hall, right? Start to sort through it, start to understand what you have, decide what's going where. That's step one, it's one of the things that my team does in a really cool way with our platform. Just one of the cool things. But as I said, today I'm gonna to show you how to do this without a big technology spend, right? You're gonna do this with a simple spreadsheet. And I could have done this in Google Sheets, 
but Airtable looks so much prettier and it's free for what, what, what I'm going to show you. So let's, let's look at this. So the first thing I've done here is very much, I call this the content index. This is one of the sheets in my Airtable instance. And you can see I've got, you know, a selection of 20 assets. I could easily have 200 assets. There's no limit on the number of rows that I can put into this thing. As you go left to right here, you've got your content assets on the left. Got some format details, where that content lives, item ID, if you've got it indexed in that type of way, and when it was published. Just very basic understanding of all the content that we've created. That's step one, or step two, I should say. Step three is where we start to take all the theory that I just showed you and actually apply it. So we've got these three areas of tags, right? Tags that help you identify, understand our channel, and ultimately engage with that content. And what we do with that is we turn that into their own unique tables inside of this Airtable instance, inside of this go-to-market matrix. So you can see that I've, I've done an example of what my own team might do here. Right, top left, those are my buyers, content, marketer, demand gen, VP of marketing, web dev, CMO, ABM marketer. Anyone here have that job title? One of those? All right, all right. If you do, you should go talk to us. But um, the second one there is stage, different stages where someone may be interacting with us. Third one in the bottom left are the different channels that we often use to interact with someone. And the bottom right-hand corner are different ways that we talk about our solution or the way that we go to market to solve. There's more rows than this in some cases. And again, there's no limit. We're creating different tags that we're gonna ultimately apply. Then we come to the fun part. Now this is, this is a, a GIF right, or GIF, again, depending on your preference, you can see what you're able to do now is go in and as you go to the right, you can start tagging your content based on the different categories. First one being buyer, then stage. Now we're on the channel one here. We're gonna add different tags to say, what content does this work for? Is it work across different channels, different buyers, different stages? It's a very simple exercise and it's done in a fun way because you get to kind of click that button and grab and start to add other things that categorize this piece of content. This isn't something that you do in an afternoon and you're done. This is a big project, right? You go through, you audit all of your content, but this is so important because so many of us have no idea what content we have, right? We create content and then we forget about that content. Now think about it a different way. I, 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 not everyone's into raising their hands, but I wanna ask you like how many of you have changed your job in the last year, right? Okay, a lot of you. Do you have any fucking idea what content existed a year before you got there? No way, right? But some of the most valuable content we create is evergreen, it lasts. We can continue to go back to use it. So indexing that content for your whole organization is so important. And as a result, you need a team to take this on. This can often be your content marketing team. Sometimes it's your demand generation team in terms of thinking about applicability of content across the different channels. But that step that I showed you before of choosing all those tags, that is true collaboration. That is the demand gen team and the content team and your ABM marketers and your product marketers sitting down in a room and talking about these are the ways that we think about our audience interacting with us. Okay, let's keep going here. Now we get to have the fun, uh, aside from this slide that's so much fun, um, but we get to actually build the matrix. Now, before we build the matrix, 
sounds like I'm a real deep coder. I can't code for shit. Um, I, I want to talk about personalization just for a moment here and, and talk about what I really mean about personalization at the end of the day. Now, I apologize if you've seen me do this slide before, but we did this cool study at Uberflip a little over a year ago. Uh, and what we went out is we asked people, what does it mean to personalize at the end of the day for you? And we asked it to two different groups. One was buyers. You can see what their answers were here. Very logical. Can you solve my problems? Do you my, know my company? Do you know my industry? But we asked the same question to marketers. We asked it to marketers. Their answers were slightly different, but importantly different. They defined it as knowing my name, my industry, and my company, right? And these were drop-down options. So like, we let people choose whatever they meant in terms of their engagement with personalization. There's a huge disconnect here in that not thinking about solving people's problems, in my opinion, means we are not personalizing at the end of the day, right? You know, knowing the first name, super cool 10 years ago. Big company, you get an email, you're like, oh my God, how'd they do this? So cool. Now we're like, oh my God, how'd I get on this list, right? Like it's such a shift in terms of our expectations because today we give up our name. We tell them who we are very quickly, very freely. But the question ultimately is, how do we create an experience that's personalized? I, I'm gonna keep coming back to Netflix a couple times here. Netflix does a really cool thing, as we know, but you know, the first basics of what they do isn't that cool anymore. Yes, they know my name, but that's because I say this is my name. And yes, it's cool that I don't have to log in on my son's account and my son doesn't have to log in on my account because our content is not alike. But that's step one. Step two is great. Now that I know you are, I'm gonna just do some very basic context things. I'm not gonna make you watch you know, whatever he's watching. I'm gonna let you watch what you're watching. You're clearly into Stranger Things, Randy. We know that. You are binging it at an obsessive rate. I did that, well, a lot of us did that, right? It was great. Um, Anyways, but, but that's step two, set some context. We know you, we know who you are. The real part though that brings us back to Netflix and other solutions, maybe more so these days, is the ability to say, you know what, we know you watched Stranger Things, we think you're gonna like this stuff, right? That's where the relevance starts to come into play. So when we talk about personalization, I want you to kind of think about it with this canvas I'm gonna show you, where we've got data on the left, that's our identified, the channel being the attract in the middle and the destination on the right. Now the destination is ultimately what I love focusing on, but I'm gonna show you all three steps here today. And there's cool things that we can do, right? We can throw in your name and all of a sudden the right-hand side looks so cool to Dan 10 years ago, right? Same as with his role and his company and maybe even the industry starts to bring it to life in a more meaningful way even across that ad but it's when you put the content in that the whole thing comes together, right? That all these elements start to build. And all we're doing with everything that I've highlighted here in, in that teal color is we're correlating data to create a better destination. But when you break it back to the Netflix example, step one, we know their name, cool. That's important for personalization. Step two, we're setting a little bit of context. Step three, we're actually showing that we can deliver relevance. In my opinion, none of these alone are personalization. If I just dump a whole bunch of content in front of you, that's not personalization because you haven't told me why it's personalized to me. And you haven't assured me that you know who I am. We need all three of these elements to do that. Okay, so now let's get to the fun part. Let's build the matrix. All right, so 
An important thing that I'm gonna show you with this is not building one campaign because we know it takes a lot of engagement points to get someone across the line. In fact, Gartner, again, and an analyst, so I'm, I'm legit, you know, tells us 18 interactions to get you over that line uh, to actually connect with the buyer. That's phone calls, but they, they talk specifically about all the different channels that we need to use. So what I wanna do is I wanna create a personalized campaign. I'm gonna show you how we do this. So once you've gone in and created all of those tags, then we can run a campaign. So what I'm doing here, as you can see, I'm writing out that this is gonna be a top of funnel ad retargeting for post webinar follow-up. Okay, great, step one. Then I go in and I'm gonna select that this is gonna be for the VP of marketing. That's gonna be my buyer. The next thing is I'm gonna do this, well, what did I say? It was, it was towards the top of the funnel, so awareness stage. Next step here is I'm gonna now say, well, this was an ad retargeting, so I'm gonna select ad. And then I can add other general tags, but we're gonna keep it simple for now for time. What's now happened is it's looked across those various variables and said, what content matches? And it's only showing me the content that's a fit. So very quickly, I'm able to go and take all my thousands of pieces of content and distill down to the content that's been tagged to match to the use case that I'm going after. So it's gonna loop here. So that's really cool. The other thing that comes out of this and using this approach is you start to identify where you might have a gap, right? So in this case, I'm gonna run this script one more time very quickly. You're gonna see, I'm gonna try and go after a CFO. We don't do a good job selling to the CFO. And as you can see, once I select the CFO as my first step, I'm gonna get an error. That error is gonna tell me that I don't have content for the CFO. It's gonna create an entry in my matrix. As you go left to right, you'll see here that I have a content gap. I have a lack of content to engage the CFO in my journey. That allows me to go back to my team and say, this is the content that we have to create right now. This is where our focus has to shift. So it's the, the, the mindset starts to be, to be to create what we need more so than ignoring what we have, right? Because a lot of us just get caught in this cycle. Well, we need three blog posts this week and we're gonna do two eBooks this quarter, right? And that, it's, a, it's worked a long time but now we have so much content, we have to start to use it, we have to start to put it in front of people in meaningful ways. And when we do that, we're start to, we start to be able to go back to these campaigns that we've mapped. Here's an example that I've got, and I've got this cool little button that I've only got one piece here right now. Well, we know we want more than one piece for the average engagement. I can go back, I can skip all those steps, and it surfaces new content that my team has added since the last time I've been in. Pretty cool, pretty fun. Uh, honestly, I've had so much fun just using this tool myself. Very excited to be able to share it with people in the very near future here. So eventually what we're doing here is we're building a map. We're building the various stages that we are mapping throughout the entire buyer journey. You can see here, I've got my awareness stage, I've got consideration, I've got decision, I've got different plays that are happening across this matrix. Now I can also start to look at it in different ways to say, okay, in this case, I've broken it also to look by job title. At the consideration stage, decision stage, which buyers am I actually interfacing with? Who do I have to think more of? Who am I ignoring? Remember back to the stat that we heard from Challenger Inc that it takes over 11 buyers weighing into your decision. We can't focus often on just one, right? That's why they only had that 30% close rate 
in those instances. Whereas if we start to think more holistically across that entire organization that's buying from us, now we start to map an entire buyer journey. So it's a pretty cool tool. Um, you know, the goal of it is really to do exactly what you're seeing behind me, right? Is think of your go-to-market as a matrix. Think of the various different inputs that you need. To me, it's identify the buyer, think about the channel they're coming from, right? Email is very different than an ad, social, etc. And then ultimately think about what do they want when they land there? So many of us drop people onto a page that's just all the format, right? We've all been to like resource centers that you go there and it's like there's a drop down that says, here's all of our ebooks, here's our videos, here's our infographics. Who goes to a website and says, show me your infographics to solve my problem, right? No, we have problems. Help me solve your problem. Anyways, I'll leave you with this. Feel free to take a scan or enter the URL. It's pretty short either way. Um, and you know, you'll, you'll be dropped into a form. This thing's going live in the next couple of weeks. I'm looking for people who are excited to play around with it, enter some of their content, tag it. You can do it for your whole content library. You can do it for a campaign that's coming up. Um, my team's gonna help you figure this out because it's gonna help me think more critically about how we solve for these type of problems. Uh, real excited to be here to share this for the first time and thank you all for raising your hand every once in a while, including for this and uh, you know, coming along with me on this journey. You know, I could listen to Randy chat all day, especially about content. And I truly just really love that he doesn't push Uber Flip on the audience, right? He gives us actionable takeaways that we could use with or without his own platform. So he's obviously one of the most engaging and informative speakers that I've ever heard. And you kind of almost forget you're learning from some big head honcho at Uber Flip and not your friend. I hear you, Claude. Well, it looks like that is a wrap on today's episode. Thank you all so much for tuning in for episode four and make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your podcast player of choice. Also, make sure to join in the conversation on social media. You can find our handles right there in the show notes. We really love hearing your thoughts and feedback. So give us a tweet or give us a little shout out on LinkedIn. Thanks again, everyone. And we'll catch you next week.